you know, if, if that was a ratio on the brakes of your, on your car, I can assure you we would do something about it. Problem is, marriage is a lot trickier than fixing the brakes on your car. Now we're entering into an era where most couples, or many couples today, actually the majority have figured out a way not to fail at marriage, and that is not to get married. Simply move in and live together, and, and uh, that way if things don't work out, at least your marriage didn't fail. Of those who move in together, 10 years from the date of doing so, 80% of them will not be together. Now Mexico has taken a, the next step. They presently have legislation to have two-year contracts for marriage. So you sign up for two years. And uh, at the end of two years, you decide if you want to continue on or not. I'm dead serious. This is in the legislature in Mexico as I speak. Our current president recently signed support for gay marriage, which totally redefines the whole meaning of marriage. I think one of the most startling stats that I've come across is that 40% of Americans polled believe that marriage is going the route of cassette tapes. That marriage in the near future will be obsolete. And I just find that an alarming figure. So I was asked in this series to, to preach on the, uh, the role of husbands and wives in marriage. And so I, I'm going to give you my interpretation this morning. I'm going to warn you that what I'm going to say is going to be very quite radical, very countercultural. That should be the way it is because the God of this age is controlling the systems of our country. Uh, J- Jesus said that to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. So it shouldn't surprise us that what God asks us to do is very different than what the world might ask us to do. So this morning I want to start with the root problem. Uh, let me just give you a simple example. I've had this happen a couple times. I'm sitting in a restaurant, and somebody comes in, and they, they wave at me, and I have no idea who they are. You ever have that happen to you? And, you know, they're waving, and, and you kind of give a shy wave back, and then about a minute later, I turn around and, and realize that they're making eye contact with the people right in back of me, okay? They were not waving at me. It was not about me. It was about something else. That simple little illustration, I think, is an example of the root problem, and that is life is not about you, and it's not about me. And that is a humbling one, and that is a hard one for us as people to get a hold of, because that is the root sin of our lives. The, the very core sin of our lives is that life is about me. And the very essence of the truth is that life is about God. In fact, in Romans, you know where it talks about all the symptoms of of a culture where God's wrath is being poured out in a culture. On Romans 1, he goes back and he says, here's the core problem. The core problem is that man did not glorify God. Man did not live for the glory of God. Man lived for the glory of himself. And so God said, okay, go ahead. You can do your own thing. And when man does his own thing, we pervert everything that God has made. And so, 
Life is not about you. Marriage is not even about you. Your marriage is really not, bottom line, about you. It's about God. You know, our natural way of thinking is, how, how can I get what I want out of life? You know, what are my goals and what are my plans? That's just naturally how we, how we think. And, you know, what we should be saying is, what, what does God want out of my life? He's the potter and I'm the clay, so what, what, what is his purpose for my life? And in marriage, what is his purpose for my marriage? And so that is the, that is the bottom line sin. And so I, it doesn't really matter what you're doing in your life or what good things you're doing. If you're, doing them for your, if you're not doing them for the glory of God, then we are living out our sinful nature, which is to deny the fact that we are here to proclaim and live out the glory of God. You, you see this in Revelation. You go to Revelation, and everyone is bowing before God. Everyone is glorifying God. You know, the elders have these crowns which represent amazing things they've sacrificed and done in their life. And what do we see on the scene? We don't see the elders standing on the podium receiving their reward. We see them on their faces throwing their rewards at the feet of Jesus because they realize that in, in, in that understanding of God and in that state, they realize that life is all about the glory of God. There's an Old Testament verse that says, where there is no vision, and another word for vision there is knowledge. Where there is no knowledge, the people perish. And so in, in some levels, we are watching our country perish. And it's a sad thing to watch. We now have far and far away the highest divorce rate in the world. America leads that, number one. And at the root of this problem is a disregard and a lack of understanding of God's purpose for marriage. And so what I'm going to say sounds will sound quite radical, but I think it just shows us how far we have moved. I've entitled the message uh, this morning, Vintage Marriage. And, you know, you can go into a vintage shop. I have a daughter that likes to go into vintage clothing stores. And what a vintage shop is, it's, it's old styles that used to be in style, but now they're not in style. But there's a few people that still really like those styles. That's kind of where marriage is at today. And so we're going to look at vintage marriage, what it was originally intended to be. I want us to see marriage as God designed it. And if God designed it this way and you live it out that way, I can promise you it will be a wonderful, glorious thing without any modifications needed. So here it is. I'm going to make just a a couple of points this morning. And the first point I've already reiterated, but I'm going to start here again. This is it, number one. This is the first radical statement I want to say, and that is life is not about you. It's about the glory of God. Uh, No one models this better than Jesus. Because Jesus' life was not about him. It was about the glory of God. John 14, verse 13. Listen to what he says. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Jesus existed 
that he might bring glory to the Father. He said this over and over again. He said, I am here to do the will of the Father. And so that's a question all of us can ask is, is that, can I say that? Can I say as I look at my life, I am here. I, I exist to do the will of the Father. My life is not about me. It's about the glory of God. So you see, this resulted in a very different life for Jesus. Very different life. He had the power and the charisma like no man had. In fact, when the Pharisees, after the raising of Lazarus near the end of his life, the Pharisees were getting together, they said, they said the whole world is going after this man. I mean, Jesus had the people at his fingertips. He, he, here's a guy that's turning water into wine and, and healing blind people of their sight. And you can imagine what he could have done what he could have accomplished for himself. So here's Jesus. He never owns a home. He never gets married. He never has a family. He never travels far from home. His life was about the purpose that God had for him. And that was to ultimately be abused and end up crucified on a cross. So that was Jesus' life. He came not for himself, but to accomplish the Father's purpose. So here's the second statement I want to make this morning. Marriage has a divine purpose. Marriage has a divine purpose beyond how happy you are in it. Marriage was intended to be a metaphor. It was intended to be a symbol. It was intended to be a sacred picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And so it's not just about how happy we are. It's about, it's about the glory of God. It's about, you know, this is, this is about a picture of the ultimate proposal. By the way, the ultimate proposal was not yours, and it's not something that you saw on YouTube last week. The ultimate proposal is yet to happen. It's been promised, but it is yet to happen. And that proposal is the ultimate proposal, the consummation of all history, when the groom, who is Christ, comes for the bride, which is his church. And it tells us there'll be no giving or taking of marriage in heaven because this is just temporary. This is just a metaphor pointing to the ultimate marriage, which is the union of Christ with his church. Your marriage was intended to be a metaphor of that relationship. God designed that. Even before Genesis, God had this in mind. See, where do we get that? Just take a moment and look. Let's just go back to Genesis for a moment. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20. Genesis 2.20, the very beginning. It says, so the... God has created man now, and so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper that was found. Now, the word helper there is, is it's, it's not something of subservience there. The word helper, actually the word that's used here is the word that's used for God most often. And what it means is, uh, the word helper here means one who comes to rescue or give strength. 
So evidently, God looked at man who'd created and said, this guy needs help. This guy's not going to survive without a helper. Someone who comes to rescue and, and give strength, someone who comes to come alongside is what that word helper there means. And so there was no suitable helper amongst the animals. So verse 21, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Now, you know, this is very significant. Very significant that God did not create the woman like he created the man. He created the man of the dust of the earth. God could have said, okay, we're going to make the woman. He could have created her. But he creates her out of the man, which is very significant. And the text makes the point of that. The Lord brought her to the man, and the man said, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, should, she shall be called woman. And in the Hebrew, you can see this play on words. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And so this is the thing that is highlighted here is that the woman comes out of the man. And because she comes out of the man for this reason, in verse 24, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will, in essence, again become one flesh. They will become united in this oneness. As I talk about this, I want you to be thinking about the relationship of Christ to his church and oneness and becoming one body. And if this is a metaphor of Christ and the church, then we will see the analogy played out. So we move over to Ephesians 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can see these verses as they come up. Ephesians 5 talking about marriage here, but he's not, again, just talking about marriage. If marriage is a metaphor of Christ and the church, then we should hear this coming out in the passage. Ephesians 5, and we begin with verse, I'm going to begin with verse 25. We're going to come back in a couple weeks, and we're going to spell out the roles of husbands and wives and what that would look like here. But for today like to start at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, listen to this. Just as Christ loved the church. So here's the metaphor already. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. And now he goes on about Christ and the church. And gave himself up for her, washing her with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. He's still talking about Christ in the church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, now he's back talking about husbands. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. Because as we read, the woman was taken out of the man. And there's an essence, as in marriage, she becomes one with him. And he says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. He says, now he's back talking about the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, 
this is a profound mystery. But listen, I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage here is, as you read this, we realize that it's, it's all interwoven with the relationship of Christ and his church. And it truly is intended and was intended to be this metaphor of Christ and the church. Marriage is a divine symbol. It is a sacred symbol. And so, as, as we see here,
Larissa asked me to read a couple of quotes from a man named John Piper, who's a, a well-known Bible teacher, and he talks about marriage and how it, this mystery refers to Christ and the church. And he says this, Marriage is not mainly about prospering economically. It is mainly about displaying the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church. He says, knowing Christ is more important than making a living. Treasuring Christ is more important than bearing children. Either way, it is short. It may have many bright days, or it may be covered with clouds. But if we set our face to make of marriage mainly what God designed it to be, no sorrows and no calamities can stand in our way. Every one of them will be not an obstacle to success, but a way to succeed. covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church shines brightest when nothing but Christ can sustain it. Ian and I first met in 2005 at college and had a blast for 10 months getting to know each other and I was looking through and I found one of my favorite pictures which I think was actually taken right before his accident. He set up a camera on his, his tripod, and it's just a classic Ian face that to me sums up who he is. We'd been dating for 10 months, and he was working an extra job for his dad, and he was on his way to work near Pittsburgh. And we got a phone call that he had been in an accident, and we didn't know if it was when he got to work or on his way. And so we got down to Pittsburgh, and I was just praying the whole time in the car that it wouldn't be his brain. After being at the hospital for a few hours, we found out that it was, and he had been in brain surgery for a few hours and had suffered a traumatic brain injury. God totally spared his life. One night, he was failing four out of five brain activity tests, and the next morning, he was doing well, and his brain was starting to respond again. I moved in with his family after the accident, so I was really involved in his therapy and just did whatever I could to make his life fun. We'd go out on dates, and looking back, it's weird because he couldn't talk and he couldn't eat. So we probably looked like complete weirdos being on dates, but we had a blast, and I just talked to him all the time. I knew that before Ian's accident, he was very serious about marriage and was ring shopping, so. I knew where he was, and that helped me so much. After he couldn't talk, I knew that he loved me, and I knew where he wanted the relationship to go because we were dating very intentionally. We just prayed that marriage would someday happen and watched all of our friends get married and start having families. That was challenging, but we just tried to hold out hope that that would be us someday. Our board of gratefulness and we encourage anybody who comes in to 
random note of something that they're thankful for. It could be really small. Mine is just Saturday mornings, and it's just a good way that we found to be just practicing gratefulness. And Ian, I think half of yours say uh -huh. my wifey. Uh -huh. Well, she's pretty cool. Uh -huh. We decided that we couldn't really consider marriage as an option until Ian was able to communicate. But if he could communicate with me, then we could have a marriage knowing it would be really different. But as long as Ian could talk to me, then we could make it work. So once Ian began communicating, it became a little bit more of an option. And then we just kind of watched Ian progress. Uh. Hi, husband. Hi, uh, wife. How are you? Uh. What? How was your day? A conversation I had with his dad, it was one of those conversations where I realized this could happen. Then that August, his dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. And at that point, his dad's biggest concern was Ian and I. And whether or not we we're gonna get married or step away from our relationship. He wanted us to make a decision to move our lives in some direction. He passed away before he was able to see us get engaged, but that was a huge impetus in why we started to pursue engagement. Throughout premarital counseling, we just used this momentary marriage it was so helpful because John Piper talked a lot about primary things and secondary things, which is really important for us because when we're walking out our marriage practically, Ian can't do the secondary things like working or making a meal for me. Everything that's primary, though, he can do, which is leading me spiritually. Ian always comes back to the foundational truths of who God is and kind of reels me back in for my emotions, and that's the most important thing. We have two friends that we're going through the book with. I think we've just been able to help them see that maybe the little things that they're excited for about marriage are worth being excited about, but they're not the, the end all and be all of their marriage. But we also have so much to learn and we're learning from them and things that they share because our relationships are different and we can glean different things from each other. I think what helped us in deciding to make this commitment to each other, at least for me, is knowing that Ian wouldn't have left me if the roles were reversed and that we love each other and we know that God's going to be faithful to our marriage. We're able to love each other with, I think, a more Christ-like love because of Ian's disability and just understand that picture a little bit better than if you were healthy. Yeah. Agree? Yes. What about God enables you to have have a happy marriage? You know, what? He's awesome. He's awesome? Yeah.